sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me now safe Love 
lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me, oh, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a joy to be able to see you and to get to worship with you. My name's Jay. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. Um, We are going to begin our time together with a call to worship and hearing from God's word, that is and singing together. Would you stand with us as we begin our time? Last week, our call to worship was John 3, 16 through 17. We centered around the idea of, of a generous God who, who gave us his son. This week, I actually want to read that passage again. We're gonna, this is a, a first for me and for City Church. We're going to do the same call to worship two weeks in a row. Uh, but I wanted to read this passage again, but this time I want to focus on God's love. So listen to these verses and prepare your hearts for worship. This is John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray. O God, our loving Father, we do not deserve your love. God, we have broken your laws. We have gone our own way. We have ignored your call to love and serve those around us, yet you love us. You show us compassion. You show us mercy. You show us patience. And your ultimate display of your love was in sending Jesus, God, to pay for our sins and restore us to a right relationship with you. God, we acknowledge that that is worth celebrating this morning. Would you please move us to worship you? Would you shape and form us in your likeness as we sing songs together, as we receive your preached word? Would you give us faith that produces good works, not as a means to earn your acceptance, God, but as an overflow of the love that you have shown us in Christ? May we worship and give you praise today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you join us as we sing?
Let's sing together. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on this solid ground the Lord is my salvation let's sing I will not fear I will not when darkness falls His strength will help me scale these walls I'll see the dawn of the rising sun The Lord is my salvation Who is like the Lord our God Strong Stay faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Let's sing of our hope. My hope is hidden in the Lord. Each promise of his word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save, faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Let's give God glory. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. The Lord is our salvation. Sing that again. Sing it out. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God, the Spirit. The Lord is our salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid, and the Salvation. Sing, who is like? Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save, faithful in love. 
just sang of the salvation that we have in Christ. The chorus declared, Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? He has faithfully loved us, and the work of Christ to secure our salvation is the pinnacle expression of that faithful love. This is the prime motivator for loving and serving one another, is it not? Romans 5, 8 famously states, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Jesus himself states in John 13 that we are to love one another just as Christ himself has loved us. As we have been loved so overwhelmingly by God, so we are to love those around us. So we're going to sing this song that talks about that Christian love together. Let's sing. Christians by our love, by 
Good morning. Here we go. Hey, it is uh, great to get to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Ryan. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, thank you for joining us for worship this Sunday morning. We aspire, as, as a church, we aspire to be an authentic community that is walking with God in our city, and so we pray this morning that you encounter the love of Jesus that we're singing about there, that, we're, that we are celebrating, and we pray that not only in this community but around the world that the love of Jesus would be the defining mark of what it means to be a Christian. Um, each week we, uh, we have connection cards in your bulletin, so when you come in you should receive a bulletin. Inside of that there's a connection card, and this is a great way to let us know you're here, to express interest in anything. If you'd like to get connected or you'd like more information about something, you can indicate that on that card. Uh, or if there's anything that we could be praying for you about, there's a space where you can indicate that as well. And we'd love for you to fill that out and turn it in. Uh, you can either slip it into the pocket that's on the seat back right in front of you, or you can drop it in the, the uh, brown box on your way out. And we pray through those prayer requests. Every Monday, the pastors pray through those, and we would, uh, we would love for you to let us know how we can be praying for you this week. Uh, community groups are ongoing. They are a great way to get plugged in to the life of our church. Uh, they meet in homes throughout the week uh, around town, and so we encourage you, if you are not plugged into one of those, to, to check one out. You can find more information about that on our website or also at the welcome table in the back. There's cards with location information and leader contact information, so do encourage or do uh, consider checking one of those out. We worship a generous God, and part of our response of worship is giving generously. And so if you would like to give, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can always give online at citychurchgnv.com give, or you can drop a gift in the box on your way out. A few announcements for this week. Uh, our adult ed class, the physical education class, is, uh, it will resume tomorrow, 7 p.m., and we, if you haven't come to this, there's, a, I think, a couple of weeks left of this, so come and check this out. It's, uh, we're exploring the significance of God's presence and ours, the importance of physical presence. Also, the Questioning Christianity class continues this week. It's Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. in the community room. And this week, we are exploring morality. So this, is, this whole class is uh, focused on exploring big questions of the faith, questions you may have. Uh, or that your friends may have about Christianity and things you may want to work through. And so this week we're talking about morality, great, great topic. So I encourage you to come and check that out. Uh, if you haven't been a part of the class yet, you can still come. They have dinner there, so uh, come at 6.30 on Wednesday. Uh, some exciting announcements about our City Roots project. So if you haven't heard yet, we are, uh, through the City Roots project, in the process of purchasing this building. We lease about a third of the space of, of the building right now. We're in the process of buying the whole building. And then over four or five years, uh, renovating and kind of expanding out into the, the rest of the building. So, some exciting announcements. Uh, we have raised the money that we need to close on this building. Yes. 
Thank you all for your generosity. Thank you all for contributing sacrificially. So we've reached the amount that we need in order to close, and we have tentatively scheduled the closing for this Thursday. Uh, so there are still, you know, some logistical things, some legal things, all of that that have to be worked out. So please do be in prayer that all those things get ironed out this week and that we have smooth sailing and can close as scheduled uh, this Thursday. Also, we are uh, extending the deadline for making a pledge to this, the, the City Roots project. So some of you may have already pledged towards the, the closing goal. Some of you may have pledged towards the closing and the renovation, the kind of the long-term goal. Some of you may have not done that yet, and that's okay. We have, uh, we're going to extend the deadline for that until Sunday, April 24th. And if, you have, if you're here and you're saying, I don't know about the City Roots project, uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard about that. Well, you're in luck. You can get more information at the welcome table. In the back, there are uh, a beautifully designed booklets, and there's also a, a prayer booklets for a 31-day prayer journey through this, through this uh, whole endeavor, and all kinds of information about how to respond back there. So grab one of those booklets. We also... Be, we would love to share more about the details of the project with you if you'd like to hear that. So just let us know. We have folks that do home visits and, and would love to share more information. Just let us know more about that. Okay, uh, other opportunities that are coming up. We have a, uh, an important missions event that's going to happen in August, a big event that, that we are putting on uh, for one of our missionaries. It's a, it's a retreat, and I think there's going to be maybe hundreds of I'm guessing I'm saying, I'm going to say hundreds. Yeah, there's going to be hundreds of people uh, who are coming to, to this, uh, missionaries from, uh, from India. And so our, our missions committee is organizing this event, and, but could use a lot of help with the logistics and the communication and planning and all of that. So if you are at all interested in helping with any of that, there's an interest meeting April 3rd at 12.30. It'll be downstairs in one of the kids' rooms after the second service. Um, you can express interest for that on your connection card or just show up. That's next Sunday, right? Next Sunday. Wow, next Sunday is April. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, we have the Kids Spring Festival coming up. This will be the week before Easter. It will be Saturday, uh, April 9th at 9.30 a.m. at Creekside Community Church up on 39th Avenue, uh, one of our sending churches that helped us uh, plant here nine years ago. And uh, so we, we're going to have a lot of fun crafts, games, Easter egg hunt, all kinds of stuff like that. Would love for you to come. Uh, please come. You can bring kids or just come and hang out. It'll be 9.30 a.m. Uh, April 9th at Creekside. You can RSVP on Realm, which is our social media app. Uh, if you're not on that, you can sign up for that also at the welcome table. And then finally, we have a Good Friday service uh, that'll be good... Good Friday, 7 p.m. That is also at Creekside. We'll be, um, I believe, outdoors. I, I think we're doing the outdoors setup again, as the same as last year. And so we did this joint service last year. We're going to do that again this year. Wonderful time. Encourage you to put that on your calendar and attend. Okay, the sound of happy babies means that we get to do something very wonderful this Sunday. Uh, one of my favorite things we get to do here, which is child dedications. Uh, we have several families that are dedicating their kids this morning, and so if that describes you, go ahead and make your way up here, and let's line up up here. Yes.
we'll try to stay, if you can, stay on this side of that column so that the camera on the live stream can get you. There you go. We have everybody? Okay, good. Great. Um, a little bit about what we're doing uh, with child dedications. Really three things. We are, parents are acknowledging that children are a gift from the Lord and, and giving thanks for this wonderful gift. Uh, we're entrusting our kids to the grace of God and praying for them to one day put their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, and, and also, this is a way for parents to make a public commitment to lead and spiritually nurture their children. And so, we have uh, four families here. We have uh, Smitty and Christy Pinman, and they're dedicating Ransom. Robin, Rob, Robin sorry. I looked at, <laughs> looked at Robin and said Ransom, sorry. Um, Chris and Ashley are dedicating Lily, Tanner and Chelsea are dedicating Abram, and Brian and Tani are dedicating Dim. All right, so we have some, some vows this morning. We'll have uh, five vows I'll ask you as parents that you're committing to in this dedication, and you can just respond with I do, and then we'll have a, a vow for us as a congregation, okay? First, do you Recognize these children as the gifts of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing. Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives and the hope that they will belong wholly to Jesus Christ? Do you pledge as parents that with God's fatherly help, you will bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love, to build the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives. Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children, looking to your own Heavenly Father for the wisdom, love, and strength to serve them and not use them? Do you promise God helping you to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace your children will come to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and for the fulfillment of all his promises to them, even eternal life. And in this faith, follow Jesus as Lord and obey his teachings. Wonderful. Okay. And church, this is, this is a family affair here. We are coming together to support them in this endeavor. So church, by the grace of God, do you commit to support and equip these parents to fulfill your respons their responsibility to raise their kids up in the Lord? And do you likewise commit to being good examples to these children that they might believe and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you do, say, we do. All right. Okay, this is the really exciting part here. <clears throat> hey, buddy. Okay. All right. Make sure you get a good picture there. Here we go. All right. Robin, together with your parents who love you dearly and this church that cares about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will one day belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Robin, this gift of life. Thank you for the Pinman family. We pray that he would grow up in the knowledge and, and love of the Lord. Lord, we pray that you would 
uh, fill their home with the grace and peace and love of Jesus? And would you sustain and empower Smitty and Christy as they raise their children up in Christ? Would you grant them wisdom and sustain them by your grace each day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lily, together with your parents who love you dearly and this church that cares about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will one day belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Lily and this gift of life. Thank you for Chris and Ashley and their family. Lord, we pray that she would grow up to know you, to trust you, and to follow you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that their home would be filled with your grace, your peace, and your love and founded on the gospel. And we pray, Lord, would you sustain Chris and Ashley? Would you grant them wisdom to raise Lily in the, the way of the Lord? And would you guide them by your love each day? In Jesus' name, amen. Doing great. Two for two. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Hey. Oh, yeah. Look at all those people. Hey, okay. Abram, together with your parents who love you dearly and this church that cares about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will one day belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Abram, the gift of life. Thank you for Tanner and Chelsea and their family. We pray that Abram would grow up in the knowledge and grace of the Lord, that he would follow you as Lord and Savior. We pray for their home to be filled with your love, your grace, and your presence. We pray that you would sustain Tanner and Chelsea each day. We pray that you would guide them in your grace and your love. Would you grant them wisdom as they raise their kids in the way of Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Doing great. Yeah. Uh, hey, buddy. All right. Uh, hey. Yeah, you know me. We hang out. All right. I think it was Jamie. I had to do the handheld mic when yep. we dedicated him, and he was, like, grabbing the mic the whole time. <laughs> three for three, I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Ben, together with your parents who love you dearly and this church that cares about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will one day belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... Ben, the gift of life. Thank you for Brian and Tani and their family. We pray that he would grow up in the knowledge and love of Christ, that he would trust you and follow you as his Lord and Savior. May their home be filled with your grace, your peace, and your love. 
And Lord, would you sustain Brian and Tani, grant them wisdom as they raise their children in the Lord, and uh, guide them and empower them by your grace each day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a, a gift for all the parents. So one thing that we do for each uh, family is we, we give a, not only a child uh, dedication certificate, but we uh, give a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which you made. This may be copy three for y'all. We, we need uh, <laughs> you need a new one. Here you go. Kessling. Stumps. <laughs> there you go. And the Pinmans. Uh, yeah, great resource. If you're not familiar with it, great resource for um, illustrated uh, stories from Scripture. So let's celebrate this, uh, th- these families. Thank you, guys. Love you. You don't have a seat. There's never a, a smooth, clean way to transition from child dedications into the sermon, so I'll just say while you guys are getting situated, I want to emphasize the mutuality in a church family. Um, These families will be better for it when all of us step up to the plate to serve them, to love their kids. Discipleship in the body of Christ, when kids get discipled well, it's because we're all engaged, not just their parents. Um, So you have opportunities galore, even if you weren't standing up here to minister very powerfully to these children and to their parents. Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5. The passage will be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. There are some blue Bibles and the baskets and the seats in front of you. Those are for you as well. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here, and since we just did child dedications, I'll mention we're we're experiencing this thing in the life of our church where kids are getting old enough uh, to sort of address pastors personally, getting to know us, myself and Ryan and Jay, and but it's kind of like this conundrum now. Do you go with like pastor so and such, which is fine. We're not very formal here at City Church, so you can just call us by our first names. But if you want to do pastor, if your kids want to do that, it's great. Uh, a lot of people are doing Mr., which is great for Jay. It's great for Ryan. It's not great for me. I mean, Mr. Chipper sounds like, kind of, in my opinion, <laughs> sort of like the, the Walmart brand of, of Pringles or something. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm saying is you can do whatever you want. Um, you can just use our first names if you'd like to. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 16 through 9, 5. If you are physically able to stand, uh, we would encourage you to do so for the reading of God's word. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. 
With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians came with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident." So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Let's pray together. Lord, first we do pray again for these parents and for the children that were just dedicated that they would indeed grow up and treasure Jesus and not only that, tell other people about Christ. And Lord, may our church in this very moment be convicted by your spirit of of the opportunity and the need for all of us corporately to be invested in these families. I pray that your spirit would also move so that we might understand and apply this text and be different and grow because of it. We love you. We know that you love us even more, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's be honest. At first glance, this passage reads like the most skippable passage in all of 2 Corinthians. You know, like the, the French language section of the instructions I was using to assemble a weed whacker last week. This passage is, is full of rather specific logistics, so it's understandable why someone might think, you know, I'm sure this was helpful for the Corinthians at that time. Praise God and amen, but let's, let's keep the pages turning, buddy. Let's, just, let's move on with the series, you know? Plus, a whole lot of us don't love logistics, and have quite a lot of trouble with logistics. You know, when, when we walk out the door for work or when we walk out the door for class and we need to bring, say, maybe four things to be successful that day, we usually walk out the door with two or three of those things and we figure it out when we get to work or when we get to class. There's a lot of logistics in here. A lot of us struggle with logistics. A lot of us don't love logistics. But it's striking that God has providentially preserved this passage for our eyes. When you think about it, why? And as it turns out, there's actually quite a lot of wisdom in these verses, including wisdom about godly spiritual leadership, and then wisdom about wise generosity, which are connected. And you know who's finally going to get their due today? At least at the very end of our time this morning. You know who's going to get their due? administrative folks, the beautiful people who love spreadsheets. Today is absolutely your day. Or as I like to call them, 
the offensive linemen of life. You know, they may not make the headlines, but if they miss a block, you are in for a world of hurt. Those people are going to be honored today. In case you weren't with us last Sunday, we're in the midst of a three-week intensive on generosity because that's precisely how the book of 2 Corinthians plays out. Last week, we talked about the source of our generosity, where our generosity comes from. Now, this week and next week, we're talking about the manner of our generosity. How should we be generous? Two reflections this morning as we consider this passage together. Uh, Number one, we're going to look at the No Ego Hall of Fame. Then number two, we'll have a funeral for good intentions. So number one, the No Ego Hall of Fame. And then number two, a funeral for good intentions. Let's get started with this No Ego Hall of Fame. I promise you that we will get to the generosity stuff in a moment, but first we need to tackle something that's kind of along a side slash its own thing that will, however, set us up quite nicely for the generosity stuff. The second half of chapter 8, it reads like this, this no-ego hall of fame, the most secretive hall of fame in history because its members would never let you know that they are in it. The Apostle Paul is in it. He's he's in the no-ego hall of fame. Look at verses 16 and 17. Despite his stature as an apostle's apostle, you know, commissioned by Jesus himself, and really the spiritual father of the Corinthian church, despite all of that, Paul had no problem letting the Corinthians know that Titus's love for them rivaled his own. It was none of this, oh, I'm, I'm the apostle, I'm the spiritual father. No, Titus's love for you, his care for you, it rivals my own. Maybe even exceeds it. In fact, Titus, as Paul says, would have gone back to visit the Corinthians to finish the collection, as we will see in just a moment, even if Paul hadn't asked him to do so. And frankly, as As Paul acknowledges here at the beginning of verse 16, the only reason why anyone cares earnestly for the Corinthians is that God himself put that care in their hearts. It didn't just come from Paul. It didn't just come from Titus. God put it there. He gave it to him. Titus is in the No Ego Hall of Fame. Look at this. Even though, on one hand, he was returning to the Corinthians on his own earnest or or zealous accord, he also, verse 17, humbly accepted Paul's appeal for him to go. So there's some deferential mentality here. He was was respecting Paul. He was listening to Paul's appeal. Plus, and you can see this in verse 23, despite his own stature as a spiritual leader, Titus was in many respects Paul's representative. Look at verses 18 and 19. The brother who is, quote, famous among all the churches... For his preaching of the gospel, which is a a difficult phrase to translate from the Greek, but I think that's the right sense of it, he's in the hall too. He's in the hall of fame, third member of the No Ego Hall of Fame. Even though we don't know anything else about this guy, we can tell that he wasn't doing the, you know, I'm the famous preacher, I'm not doing the admin work shtick. He wasn't about that. He was on his way to Corinth with Titus to help with the collection because various churches in the region, quite possibly the Macedonian churches, had appointed him to help. And so he was dutifully on his way. And it appears as though 
this unidentified brother would then accompany Paul to Jerusalem as well to oversee the delivery of the collection, here referred to as this act of grace. Recall from last Sunday that this act of grace was a financial collection that the Corinthian Christians were organizing on behalf of churches in Judea, particularly the church in Jerusalem. At that time, it was hard being a church anywhere in the Roman Empire, including Corinth, but it was particularly difficult in Jerusalem, since there the church had to deal with suspicion from the Romans and significant persecution from Jewish religious authorities. So it makes a lot of sense that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem needed financial help and assistance from other churches in the empire. However, what's shocking is that these were primarily Gentile Christians in Corinth and also Macedonia helping Jewish Christians. It's shocking. For the sake of time, let's just say that historically, Jews and Gentiles had a very negative relationship and didn't even associate with each other, let alone step in to help in time of need. Well, this collection in Corinth eventually fell by the wayside, as we talked about last week, as the church at Corinth wrestled with all sorts of internal conflict and idolatry. But, according to a report from Titus, who was ministering as Paul's representative among the Corinthians in Paul's absence, according to Titus, a severe letter from Paul helped right their spiritual ship, get them back in line, so Titus was returning to Corinth along with the preacher brother dude, the famous preacher brother, and yet another earnest or zealous dude mentioned in verse 22. He was going with those two guys to help the rejuvenated church finally finish their collection and then gather it for delivery. I am making a big deal about this no-ego Hall of Fame not because these guys were perfect. They certainly were not. I mean, Paul calls himself the chief sinner. So I'm not making a big deal about this because these guys were perfect, but because these portraits that you find here in the back half of chapter 8 give us a sense of what godly spiritual shepherding should look like. Do you see this? Spiritual shepherds can and should be skilled at shepherding but more importantly, they are servant leaders who are full of humility, they're deferential, and they're earnest or, or zealous concerning the people that they're called to serve. You see how character is actually even more important than ministry skillfulness. And by the way, this profile, this, this humility, this deferential nature, this earnestness, it sounds a whole lot like, I don't know, Jesus as in the guy who refers to himself as a good shepherd. So even though these Hall of Famers here had ministry gifts, I mean, the preacher brother could clearly preach a little bit. He was famous among all the churches. He had some gifts. So even though they had these ministry gifts, the mentality among these guys was essentially, give me a jersey, put me in the game, and I will do whatever needs to be done for the sake of the mission. If I need to travel to Corinth and organize a collection, I'll travel to Corinth. We are in this together, so let's get after it together, deferring to one another and championing one another. What we do not detect in this passage is, well, 
listen, guys, this is what I do. This is where I'm skilled. So if I'm going to be on the team, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be the leader of so-and-such. Take it or leave it. Oh, and I'm kind of the man, or I'm kind of the woman, and I will find some seemingly humble but ultimately self-aggrandizing ways to raise my profile on social media and bolster my personal ministry. Here is a really sweet picture of me speaking in front of a large crowd with one of my profound quotes overlaid on the photo next to my face. And the reason that I am posting this on Instagram and the church's Instagram is because it will help you draw closer to Jesus. That is not what we detect in this text at all. But tragically, and you're chuckling here for a reason, that kind of ministry posture seems to be in the public eye these days, especially when we learn about the backstories of, of high-profile ministry leaders who have sailed their ships straight into the rocks. And accordingly, and this is the worst part about it, a fair number of folks are citing this brand of kind of self-absorbed spiritual leadership as the reason why they are distancing themselves from the church and Christianity more broadly. But here's some good news, in a sense. That is not the biblical picture of spiritual leadership. It's not even close. So, Instead of giving up on the church, how about we give up on this kind of arrogant and domineering and individualistic leadership that has nothing to do with scripture, that harms the people under the care of such leaders, and steals glory from the God of the universe? How about we give up on that? Let's move on from the leaders who are writing books that should have been two-page articles and are therefore just drowning in personal anecdotes and stories as well as stories that aren't personal but still end up being about them anyway. And in their place, let's raise up godly, humble servants that glorify Jesus with their character and their actions. You can see this at the end of verse 19 and the end of verse 23. Let's raise up men and women who get out of the way and radiate Jesus's mostness. Men and women who are perfectly content with being relatively anonymous if God wills it, even if at times it means managing the spreadsheets. And then let's sit under their leadership, even if they aren't particularly flashy or hip or the best communicators or the best looking or whatever. And if we aspire to spiritual leadership, either vocationally or, or simply as a faithful church member, let's be sure it's this kind of leadership, the Paul Titus preacher brother servant leadership stuff. Let's make sure that's what we're pursuing. How can you tell if you're on the right track? Here's how you can know. Ask yourself if your zeal for Jesus himself exceeds your zeal for doing ministry. That's how you can know. And the minute that flips is the minute that things start to go south in a real hurry. 
And if this kind of spiritual leadership sounds kind of boring, you know, not so flashy, please know that. As far as I can tell anecdotally and by reading articles and, and hearing from missionaries, hopefully you find this really encouraging. The mission of God, church, is advancing globally on account of relatively anonymous but remarkably faithful and sacrificial men and women who are shepherding groups of 25 and 50 and 100 people, often in incredibly adverse circumstances. And they are leading this way, and they are experiencing this kind of ministry fruitfulness, not because they're extra impressive or or because they're perfect people, but because their hearts have been captivated by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, and this is just verse 9 from last week, who, though he was rich, for our sake became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. And because the Holy Spirit isn't just in these folks, he's filling them, he's animating them, and so forth. Is this a difficult kind of ministry that could cost you your reputation or even cost you your life? Definitely. Is it boring? Definitely not. If you like adventures, you're the kind of person that shops at REI, or maybe not anymore because I think REI got too big, it got too corporate. So now you shop, you shop at um, Lloyd Clark locally. You're lo- very local. I understand you. If you're that kind of person, this kind of ministry will be harder than you think. But God will do more in you and and through you than you could possibly imagine. The mission of the church is advancing largely in part because of faithful anonymous people like you. Which you'll never really read about in the newspaper, but I think you'll hear about in heaven one day. Now, believe it or not, this is kind of a it's a fascinating text, and this this actually sets us up super great to finally talk about wise generosity and then celebrate those spreadsheet people. And that brings us to our our second reflection, which is a funeral for good intentions. We just sang the praises of Paul and Titus and the preacher brother, not to mention yet another anonymous yet earnest dude there in verse 22. We just sang their praises, But as it turns out, part of being praiseworthy means understanding that perception matters, even if you are rather praiseworthy, and understanding that you're certainly not praiseworthy all the time, and that you have very real weaknesses and even ongoing sin issues. Look at verses 20 and 21. We take this course, this is Paul speaking, and this discourse is having the preacher brother travel with Titus to Corinth, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Godly humility, one of the characteristics of being a servant leader, godly humility produces in us an understanding that even if we know that we're acting with integrity, the folks observing our actions could nonetheless reach 
a very different conclusion that we're not acting honorably. And this is really the case when it comes to money and generosity. John Calvin famously wrote that there is nothing that leaves a man open to sinister insinuation as the management of public funds. Why is this the case? Why is this the case? Why is this such an, an issue that we could be acting with integrity, at least be very convinced that we are, but people then reach very different... Why does this happen? Well, number one, others have gone before us and messed up big time. Human beings are very, very famous for acting unwisely or immorally with money, including plenty of people who profess to know and love God, including plenty of leaders. So when it comes to money, folks will be particularly sensitive to actions having to do with finances and more likely to believe that dishonorable actions have occurred, even if they haven't. That's just reality. And this default suspiciousness was certainly an issue for Paul since he already, as we've been talking about throughout this series, he already had his share of very vocal critics and opponents in Corinth who were actively trying to find fault with him. So accordingly, these circumstances were a major catalyst for the collection logistics that Paul describes in this passage. He wanted to be really careful and remember he's trying to manage this, this budding relationship between Jewish and Gentile Christians, so the stakes were really high. So number one, others have gone before us and messed up big time. Number two, it's possible to act with integrity but still act kind of unwisely or just not all that thoughtfully, thereby giving others cause to reach negative conclusions about our actions. For example, if that offering box in the back of the sanctuary fell into disrepair, maybe it needed a fresh staining, my desire personally to fix it would be a morally honorable desire. Very nice. But should I walk out the front door of the church with the offering box under my arm and put it in my truck? No, I should not do that. Even if my my motivations are, are just wonderful and beautiful. I should definitely not do that. People would, if they noticed it, the eyebrows would, would rightfully be raised. And the thing is, listen, folks, I am plenty tired enough these days to walk right into something like this, okay? I can't even remember where I'm parked in the parking garage anymore. It's like a, it's like a real-life game of Clue every afternoon at 5 o'clock. So even though I have good intentions, I'm human. I have limits. I have weaknesses, and so do all of you. Now, let's take things even a step further here. Godly humility also produces in us an understanding that godly people still wrestle with sin. We still wrestle with sin. This is not Paul's main concern in this particular passage, but it's still quite relevant, and it's worth considering it's also difficult to discuss this issue with balance. It's a notoriously difficult issue for Christians to talk about. We want to avoid suggesting that all Jesus followers are just, you know, a whisker away from committing some kind of major financial impropriety because that ignores the work of the Spirit in us to grow us and to change us. But at the same time, until Christ returns, church, we will continue to do battle against the deceitfulness of our hearts which means that our good intentions can very subtly turn sour overnight 
And when they do, we can be really skilled personal defense lawyers. To this effect, I, I saw a really insightful line a few weeks ago that I'm tweaking very slightly for our purposes. Uh, we're not all like Bernie Madoff, but we are all like, like Adam. We're not all like Bernie Madoff, but we are all like Adam. By God's grace, followers of Jesus are generally not a step away from defrauding thousands of people in a Ponzi scheme. But all of us, in union with the Adam who ate the fruit, are sinners by nature and by choice. Humble, servant-hearted Jesus followers, spiritual leaders or not, should be the first people to reckon with all of this and desire to take action. So what should we do? I mean, what do we do about this public perception issue? This human weakness issue, this sin issue, what do we do about it? Do we, just, do we descend into the throes of cynicism and, and paranoia? Do we act all conspiratorial and just be suspicious of everything? This could, of course, include all sorts of measures depending on the circumstances, but notice the emphasis in this text on transparency and accountability. Do you see this? Transparency. Paul is bringing every movement concerning this Corinthian collection into the public eye. I mean, he is, he is talking about it ad nauseum. The Macedonians are in the know. His ministry partners are in the know. He's writing all of this down in a letter for crying out loud. There's nothing secret or private about what's happening here. Accountability. Instead of being directly involved with the collection... Paul sent three ministry partners ahead of him to Corinth. And even though Paul was apparently going to join them later, you can see this in, in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, even then some Macedonians would be coming with them. As in, the Macedonians who knew all about the collection that was going on in Corinth and had themselves been inspired by the Corinthians to take up their own collection. There are checks and balances all over the place here, there are folks looking over Paul's shoulder to make sure what's supposed to happen is happening. And Paul is inviting, even celebrating all of this. Because he realized that mere good intentions weren't enough. Shoot, I mean, even, even Adele gets this, folks. I had good intentions and the highest hopes, but I know right now that probably doesn't even show. That's Adele. She gets it. By the way, if you want to know what I'm doing on my way to Lowe's to buy door stoppers and spackle, that's what I'm doing in my truck. It's a great ballad. Transparency and accountability. So what are some in implications for all this? We could look at this on two levels. So institutional implications and then individual personal implications. So let's start with the institutional implications such as, such as for churches. Here's a couple. Number one, just kind of going back to something we already talked about, zeal for Jesus among spiritual leaders and shepherds must exceed our zeal for the work of ministry as important as that is. Otherwise, 
we will start doing the Lord's work, to quote Francis Schaeffer, in our own way, which eventually opens the door for good intentions that cause very major problems to be efficient and maybe not God-honoring and thorough. Number two, again, second institutional implication. Transparency and accountability, especially when it comes to financial management, when it comes to generosity, they have to be baked into the culture of church governance. I mean, just all over the place. Put the spreadsheet and the logistics people to work. Put them in the right roles. They are the real heroes among us. Celebrate them, empower them, and you'd rather have too many structures in place and inconvenience yourselves instead of being lax. At City Church, just in case you're wondering, well, what does this mean even for our church family? This means that we actually publish our full line-item budget, including salaries for all of our members to see. It's always a kind of an odd experience seeing your salary on a PowerPoint presentation, but to God be the glory. It means we have an accountable system with checks and balances for counting our offering and managing our books. It means the pastoral staff does not know who gives or how much anyone gives. That information is hidden from us for many reasons, one of them being that we don't want that info to influence the way we shepherd people in the life of the church. also means that we are open to your feedback if you see holes or if you see things that need to be changed or improved for God's glory and for the sake of having good transparency and accountability. Individual implications. Number one, zeal for Jesus must exceed our zeal for money. This is obvious, but there's just never a bad time to reinforce it. When this flips, it's often undetected at first, because remember, we're really good personal lawyers. We're really good at defending ourselves. When this flips, we often get stingy. We do little things to sort of make ourselves out to be more generous than we really are, and then in the worst cases, we end up acting nefariously. And not to scare you or anything, well, that's kind of to scare you, but not to scare you or anything, a lifetime of generous living can go by the wayside in a heartbeat in the context of even fairly innocuous slip-ups. Reputations take a lifetime to build and about five seconds to undo. And number two, cultural norms about the privacy of our finances need to take a back seat to transparency and accountability. Church, and this is kind of me speaking, not the Lord, but I think there's godly wisdom in this. Too often I think that privacy, when it comes to individual finances, means secrecy which isn't really God-honoring and is asking for trouble. It is my view that everyone should have somebody in their life, a non-family member, who knows how they are budgeting and spending their money. That's me. Not the Lord speaking necessarily, but I think I'm very concerned that privacy in our day, especially in the West, is more about secrecy, which isn't good for anybody. I would encourage you to prayerfully wrestle through all of these implications this week, personally, in community with other people. I would encourage you, if there is sin that's 
lingering in your hearts that you need to confess, that you confess it, you deal with it, even in a few moments as we approach the communion table. And church, I would encourage you, I am actually, it's tongue-in-cheek, but I'm very serious. I think a lot of people who are gifted at administration are sort of not honored or misused in the life of the church. They exist. Let's use them well. Let's steward them well for our own good and then for the glory of God. The charismatic people who have the, the big upfront gifts or whatever, yes, we need them, but you know who else we desperately need is people that have the kinds of skills to steward our money well, to steward our generosity well. A lot of those people are already faithfully serving us on our finance team. They're helping us with our City Roots project. And if you have skills in this area, we would love to tell you more about these beautiful opportunities. Well, whenever we do child dedications, I try to quote from this Bible that we give out to all the families. Uh, let's just say that that is easier in some cases than it is today. I try to find like a parallel story and uh, you're not going to believe this, but the passage we just preached to is actually not in this <laughs> Jesus storybook Bible. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to read a passage that helps us transition to the Lord's table. Then Jesus picked up some bread and broke it. He gave it to his friends. He picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it. He poured it out and shared it. My, bro my body is like this bread. It will break, Jesus told them. This cup of wine is like my blood. It will pour out. But this is how God will rescue the whole world. My life will break, and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tear apart, and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away all of your sins, and you'll be clean on the inside. And your hearts. So whenever you eat and drink, remember, Jesus said, I've rescued you. We talked about it last week, but I wanted to repeat it. Again, this week as we approach the Lord's table, this is where generosity comes from. This is a source. It's remembering Christ crucified for us and then ultimately raised. Of the richest person in all the universe becoming poor, that via his poverty, we might be rich. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it, in remembrance of me. And in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. As he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it, in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And that proclamation is an opportunity to encourage our, our own hearts with the generosity of God as we live in a world that is beautiful in many ways, but also marred by sin and suffering. It's an opportunity to proclaim Jesus to other people that they might know Christ and walk with him and join us one day in this new city that God will usher in when Christ returns. If you are a follower of Jesus, please come and be nourished by the, this remembrance of generosity, the generosity of God, a remembering in which the Holy Spirit actually, as we submit to this meal in faith, takes this meal and nourishes us spiritually, actually fortifies us, actually builds us up. Come and be nourished and, and confess that sin we were just talking about, so that you can freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. If you're here and you don't 
say that at least at this point you're a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to reflect on what we've just been talking about, understanding that some of you may not be following Jesus because of issues related to generosity and bad behavior by people who are leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. And I hope you this, this gives you a better portrait, a better picture of what biblical spiritual leadership looks like. And I hope you don't give up on the church, but instead you press into Jesus. I'm going to pray, and there's going to be uh, an elder or deacon on either side of this table, and they will have a bowl. When you're ready, you can approach them, and they will hand you a wafer, and then you can pivot and take a cup. You're welcome to pray or kneel up here, or you can do that in the lobby. And then after the communion uh, service is done, the elder or the deacon who are serving the meal will be back in the lobby, and they would love to pray for you. So feel free to go back and get some prayer. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are thankful for this space to consider logistics, uh, to consider godly wisdom. And I, I do pray that this would be a really helpful time in which we can investigate our own hearts and consider not only where our generosity comes from, but how we can be generous in a way that is wise and glorifies you and uh, confess sin. And Father, I pray that this would be a good time for people who have been wounded, frankly, by mismanagement, financial mismanagement, whatever the case may be, for them to see Jesus more clearly, to be renewed. And I pray that you would protect our church. May we always be a place where we do care about wise generosity and logistics for your glory and for the good of our city and our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign 
of our bonds of peace around the table of the King. The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one so we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of around the table of the King. And so with thankfulness and faith we arise to respond and to to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth. As we share in his suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and we'll join in the of heaven around the table of the King as we share in his sufferings we proclaim Christ will come again and we'll join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
We've been focusing on God's love uh, in the songs that we've been singing this morning. And just as God's love for us inspires us to love those around us, Christ's sacrifice on our behalf enables us to give our lives to him. We live for the cause of Christ, knowing the immense joy and satisfaction there is in faith in Christ. So we share that joy with those around us, and we join God in taking this gospel of love and mercy to those around us. Let's sing for the cause together. Sing it again. Let it be my life's refrain to live as Christ, to die as gain. Deny myself, take up my cross and follow the sun. Christ, we proclaim. Christ, we proclaim the name above every name for all creation. Every nation, God's salvation through the sun. Christ, we proclaim the name above every name for 
Thank you all again for joining us this morning. It was great to get to worship with you. I encourage you to stop by the welcome table. You can get more information about community groups, about getting plugged in with the church. And if you haven't filled out a connection card, please do that. We'd love to hear from you. Our benediction this morning comes from uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter writes this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing that. Praise God from Timing, I will.